Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hey. Dave. What's up? Tori. Hello, Internet. And my psychotic kitten who just jumped from behind my head up onto a snake tank. Tori, that was a fierce hello, Internet. (laughs) Really? Why? What'd I do? I don't know. The tone just seemed a little different. It was like, hello, Internet. A little sassy. Do you dare show up your face again, Internet? Listen, Tori will fight the entire internet. She does not care. She will go back to jail. <laughs> go back. Tori, something I, you want to share? I don't know. Is there? I don't think she wants to share. So instead of Tori sharing, why don't we do good thing? Uh, Craig, what's your good thing this week? Um, I'm a little back and forth. They did a, a bunch of things this week. Played a couple new games. Watched a couple new movies. I think I'm going to go with the not quite recent, but recent to me, Jumanji movie. Uh, the the Welcome to the Jungle. The new one. Robin Williams? With The Rock. The sequel to the one with Robin Williams. It Which had no business being as good as it was. And it could have <laughs> went wrong in a lot of ways, and instead it wasn't. So I'm like, Pleasantly surprised. 100% agree. It was delightful. Totally worth watching. Yeah. I also finally saw Into the Spider-Verse, and that was good, too. All right. I'm not going to respond to Into the Spider-Verse because that could take up the entire podcast. So, Dave, what's your good thing? My good thing this week is a fan-made Zelda game. And actually, it includes a program. The game doesn't include a program. My good thing includes a program that you can get for PC called Zelda Classic. And that is an engine that runs fan-made Zelda games. And this particular fan-made Zelda game that I've been enjoying this week is called The Adventure of Link and Zelda Panoply of Kalatia. And Kalatia is some continent they made up that's just north of Hyrule. Um, but the game, the gameplay is essentially a combination of Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. Like there are top down parts like Zelda 1 and there are side scroller parts like Zelda 2. And the hook is that you play as both Link and Zelda together and you can swap between them. And sometimes you need to split up to solve puzzles and things. Really great. And uh, a lot of. A lot of work went into obviously creating the world and uh, making all the puzzles and things. And it even includes items from all different Zelda games, even beyond Zelda 2, including the spinner from the little uh, the little uh, Beyblade thing from from uh, Twilight Princess. So it's Linky Kong Country 2 Zelda's <laughs> Conquest. <laughs> No, it's it's Ganon Kong's Double Trouble. I didn't play that one. 
It's the Adventure of Link and Zelda Panoply of Calatia. And uh, the more important thing is Zelda Classic, which is the program that runs all of the fan-made Zelda. Which is why it's not a ROM hack. Right. It's not a hack. It's a, it's, it's a, like a map or quest or mod for this program, Zelda Classic. All right. Uh, my good thing this week is not Windows. Uh, my actual good thing is Terry Pratchett's Thief of Time, uh, which is a Discworld book, and it's delightful. It's a little bit Kung Fu, a little bit uh, uh, James Bond, a little bit Mad Scientist. There's there's a lot going on, and it's it's just delightful. Um, That's one of my favorite. It also ties into one of my other favorite. Uh, Discworld books, which is Nightwatch, which is uh, tonally extremely different from most of the Discworld books. It is very, very dark and serious and incredibly good at the same time. Uh, but yeah, they, they tie together, and generally when I read one, I also read the other. And I'm currently working on the first one, Thief of Time. I love that one. I love it. With the history monks and Susan and and the horsemen of the apocalypse. And yes, it's wonderful. I love it. Uh, so, Tori, what's your good thing this week? Oh, can that be my good thing, too? If you want to. there's There aren't that many rules for good thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So Thief of Time is a good thing. No, actually, I shared a little video on our Good Things channel on the Discord of um, uh, the front fell off. It's just a little comedy sketch that somebody showed me last week, and I thought it was hilarious. It made me laugh. Uh, so go check that out. Clark and Daw, the front fell off. I did watch that, and it was delightful. Because the front fell off. Uh, so, ba, ba, ba. we're doing chapters this week, right? Dave? Yeah. Chapter 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, and 70. A couple short ones in there. A lot. Uh, I'm personally glad that we switched to a 50-page format versus a three-chapter format. Me too, and thanks again to Tori for the diagram. You're welcome. Okay, so 64 through 70. Chapter 64 of, again, The Hero of Ages by Brandon Sanderson. Mistborn novel, number one New York Times bestselling, yada yada. Chapter 64. Breeze is uglier than clubs. No, wait. Breeze is uglier than Beldra. Mummy Spook will etch a message for Gorodel to deliver. Any questions? No, that seems I mean, pretty straightforward, really. Yeah, <laughs> pretty legit. Uh, there's just one. There's this one thing where Spook is waking up from you know being burned alive, and he is kind of dreamily thinking that he's back at Clubs' shop. And the line is when uh, Breeze comes to wake him up, Spook thinks. That the the face that he is seeing is uglier than the one he hoped for or expected, and I'm thinking he's hallucinating about being back in the shop. So he thinks Clubs is coming to wake him up, you know, because he's delirious. 
And so I thought it was hilarious that the comment is that <laughs> Breeze is uglier than clubs. But then uh, it turns out that he was he actually was hoping for Belger to come. That's what Which it was. probably makes more sense. <laughs> it makes more that. sense, but it's not as funny. Breeze has to have at least a 14 charisma. There's no way he's he's ugly. I mean, he let him, himself go a little bit, but he still has <laughs> charisma. I think that he could still... Spook's attitude toward him might be that he thinks he's ugly because, you know, he's not his favorite person. I mean, they're friends and allies and all, all that. But I, no, I'm I just, just thought saying, that it was like... Why would he be uglier than Clubs, though? Clubs was all gnarled and... no, Right, so... It's not that he's objectively uglier than Clubs. It's that Spook is like, oh, is that you, Uncle? Oh, it's Breeze. <laughs> yep. It turns out he was making the contrast between Breeze and Beldra. So I, I think I accidentally gave you a hint that Spook survives when we were talking <laughs> about this. Not not in the podcast. So Mike can't yell at me, but when we were in person, <laughs> we were chatting about it. can yell at you if you want. I I mean I the inadvertent spoilers are hard to avoid. <laughs> I wasn't convinced that uh I wasn't convinced that Spook was dead. I was going to wait and find out, but then you were like, "So, what do you think Spook is going to do next?" <laughs> talking in a car. <laughs> I didn't quite say it like that, but sure. <laughs> it whatever you said, it was like, "Oh, I guess Spook is alive." <laughs> uh not allowed to talk anymore. So I had to pretend not to know that when we recorded last week. But hey, he made it, so that's good. He <laughs> made it. And much to my chagrin, uh, the the city of Urto also made it. For Ruin's a moron, dude. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> wow. listen, Ruin, all, Ruin's got to destroy Urto, right? That was one of his big plays. All he had to do was alter Sazed's copper mine so he wouldn't know how the engineering worked to refill hey, the canal. Why do you think that was one of his big plays? Well, that's what Spook thinks. Okay. I think he'll be wrong. I don't know. But also, maybe he just wants to destroy people so that he can hope the ATM cache is there. All right. Mommy Spook etches a message for Gordel to deliver to Vin. And aren't you glad? Or... We do get to read this letter in a later chapter this week. Aren't you glad it's in metal? I think it's... Yeah, I I guess all the other times we were supposed to assume that stuff was written in metal. Uh, it's whatever. It's not, I mean, the characters know. Yeah, we, we understand that the characters know that. And so Spook wants to relay the information that he figured out uh, about the metal piercings allowing Ruin to control people. Which is a message that Vin could probably really use. <laughs> uh, yeah, Vin. Come on, Vin. By the 16, way. Ellen. God. I, I mean, I'm a little. Okay. That's coming up this week, too, by the way. That's coming up in the <laughs> okay. last chapter, chapter 70. Uh, also, I realized today that I, I had known this all along, but I forgot to make the connection. I overlooked this. Vin's earring is made out of bronze, which is the metal they use to pierce copper clouds. So that 
I think supports my theory that she somehow has Lord Ruler's copper cloud piercing ability through the earring. Maybe not even necessarily Lord Ruler, but maybe a first generation Mistborn. Oh no, would a first generation Mistborn be able to pierce copper clouds? That seems dumb. Maybe a first generation Mistborn could pierce the copper cloud of a 20th generation Mistborn. That kind of makes me. Because, you know, all of the powers wane over time. We see Ellen as a first gener has stronger pushing and pulling abilities and stronger emotional allomancy. So, you know, why wouldn't... That actually makes a lot of sense. Well, we haven't gotten an opportunity to see if Ellen can even pierce copper clouds because they don't really use copper anymore. It's not a thing that yeah. popped up. Only so for I, I, very small amounts of Balefire. So I think you can be excused for sort of forgetting about this. I, I'm sure, I know Vin has talked about it, but it's not something we've seen in the book in a while. But okay. it stands to reason that a first generation's bronze would be stronger than a long, long descendant's copper, right? That's probably, I, I like it. Okay. Anyway, there we go. That's chapter 64, plus the thing I realized on my way home today. I'm pretty sure we talked about it more than how long the chapter is. Yeah, it's a short one. Chapter 65, on the other hand, is not so short. I have a ton of bullet points for this one. And uh, this is a montage. We have uh, Ham and Ellen outside Fadric City. And we have Vin, Yeoman, Marsh, and Ruin inside the city. I think somewhere near the uh, the storage chamber, because that's where Vin was being held. Chapter 65. Ham's character arc finally comes to a conclusion. Oh. Ellen, Ellen agrees. I hope Set had his rabies shot. Vin figures it out. Yeoman does a oops. It's time for Ellen to figure it out. What's in Marsh's sash? Oh yeah, Ruin controls the Coloss. Heh. Ellen lands outside Fadrick's. The Coloss pull a 2-pi, or a 360, as some would call it. Vin grabs the sash and Popeyes a vial of pewter from it. Vin Duraliman pushes her earring through Marsh's forehead. Where did Ruin go? I don't see him anywhere. Vin orders her Coloss to attack Yeoman's men. Yeoman orders his soldiers to retreat and be nice to Ellen's army. Hi, Marsh. You still awake? Marsh Farukimizes. Finn draws on mists to soothe Marsh and gains control of him somewhat. Why was she able to draw upon the mists? Probably because she took her earring off. Marsh flees out the window. Somehow, I have questions about this. Finn forgot her earring. Edit, never mind. <laughs> well, she did. Okay, I should have taken that edit out because we'll talk, talk later. We'll just leave that as Vin forgot her earring. And then Vin returns to Ellen. So, lots happening here. This is quite uh, a chapter. We we last left off Vin and Ruins, you know, arguing about whether Ellen would actually charge up to the city. I had a feeling that Ellen would march up to the city and then hesitate or turn back. And Ham, for once, comes to a solid conclusion instead of philosophizing forever and ever and ever. And he's just like. You know what, Ellen? We shouldn't attack Fadric City. And Ellen agrees. And <laughs> they make a, 
a a pretty low blow crack at set here. And it's just like, what is he going to do? Because set is going to be upset because they're not going back to his homeland to conquer it. But what's he going to do? Bite them? That's, oh, that's yeah. Gonna... So I hope set had his rabies shot. Anywho, Vin figures it out. I guess, is this where she figured out that him was what Ruin was looking for? Yeah. Or was that yeah. last week? Well, okay. I, I I could have sworn it came up last week, but this is where she realizes that, number one, looking for the ATM cash, and number two, Ruben can't just find it because... Oh, right, she figures blind. out... She figures out that he can't see metal because it's kind of, it's like blinding to him. Like a bright light. And Yeoman does a oops. He <laughs> continues to listen to Marsh. <laughs> Even though Marsh straight up was like, Lord Ruler's dead, yo. All right, now it's time for Ellen to figure it out. I don't remember what that refers to. Uh, what's in Marsh's sash? We have uh, been in a couple of different shots. Making a trying to reach for Marsh's sash, but she finds something in there in a, in a little bit, and then well, oops, Ruin takes over the Coloss and turns him on Ellen's army, and Ellen pops up and is like, "Whoop, the Coloss are turning back to fight." So Vin does grab Marsh's sash, and almost as if it were a can of spinach, she pulls a vial of pewter out, downs it, and immediately gains super strength and <laughs> i just <laughs> had a little chuckle there to myself so i was just imagining popeye it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny because i i, I think furukami when they use pewter it's much more like popeye <laughs> okay yeah they're not consuming anything so they don't have that image but like they, they just their muscles get <laughs> Does Vin have tattoos of anchors on her forearms? <laughs> Maybe. You, you know, she does use anchors to alamant around town. That's Sometimes true. uses horseshoes as anchors. It's more like... She should have a tattoo of a horseshoe. What's this show where, like, the guy gets more muscly? Maybe I'm thinking of He-Man. But no. This, does Lionel, like, when he uses the Sword of Omens and charges up, does he, like, get more muscular and, like... Or, I don't think so. What am I thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of Altered Beast. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid I can't help you with this. I'm I'm not. Anyway, Rukamis are like Altered Beast. Getting swole. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's something Man, to think about real quick, thing. though. They store strength. That means they actually look physically weak. Their muscle mass is smaller when they're storing strength. Right, that's why Vin ceases to store strength when he meets up with Tinwell for their date because he doesn't want to look... Say not Vin. What did I say? You said Vin. <laughs> <laughs> She's not a Farukimist. I know. As far as we know. Oh, I meant Seiza. Alright, Vin Alamin pushes her earring through Marsha's forehead. And all of the sudden, Ruin disappeared. I guess he escaped in the chaos. Um, so Vin still has control of her thousand Coloss and she's 
commanding them to attack Yeoman's men, you know, just to get Yeoman's attention, be like, hey, Lord Ruler is not protecting you right now. You got to do something. Got to make make better choices with your life, young man. So Yeoman does finally order his soldiers to retreat, and he gives asylum to Ellen and his army when they show up at Fadric City. And then Marsh wakes up. Yeah, he had a, an earring fly through his brain, but he's still up. He still has some HP mines. And he <laughs> farukamizes it up. He had a one-up. And so Vin realizes what I actually realized a couple of months ago, I think, is that if you can use emotional allomancy to control Chandra and to control Kolos, then why not steal Inquisitors, right? And she tries it. And she's, with a Duralamin push, I believe, is just barely able to scratch the surface of taking control of Marsh here. And she kind of touches up on his mind and is able to sense that Ruin fears her in this moment. And that gives her confidence that she can win her battle. And I think that it's particularly difficult for her to control Marsh for a couple of reasons. One is because he has so many spikes. He's Ruin's puppet, even more spikes than a normal Inquisitor. And Ruin is likely keeping a close eye on him. And also, Marsh is just a man of very strong will. I mean, he's, in a very small respect, able to, uh, able to defy Ruin. And yeah, but I, would I think, think Marsh that, would let Vin control him much more he, than you know. He does. There is a point where that's not this chapter. It's later on when he's fighting Gorodel. He's like, "Oh, I should have let him grab that spike." So I think it was with the drawing upon the mist that lets Vin. Oh, that's right. Him. She's able to draw upon the mist because she doesn't have her earring on. Of course, the mists are of preservation and her earring is hemallergic hemallergically charged and thus in the power of ruin. So I, I I strongly believe that the earring is preventing her from drawing on the mist. Whatever other factors may be at play here, I don't know. Uh, okay, so she's able to draw upon the mists. She senses that ruin fears her. And Marsh flees out the window and I don't know how he gains back control of himself or Ruin gains back control. Well, Ruin does gain back control of him. I think that Marsh reflects on that later. And I guess, I guess Ruin just took control back from him. I don't really yeah. have. Cause the, but I, I do actually have a question about how this mind control ability works. Because if you control the Kolos, then you don't need to continuously burn your zinc or brass. You have control of that Kolos until either it goes into enough of a blood frenzy that it gains self-will back or someone else comes and takes control of it. Maybe yeah. you could get out of range or something. But with when she mind controls Tensoon, it's for like a second and then Tensoon breaks free. I guess... Maybe they get a will save every few rounds. Let's it, just it say also have low willpower. Yeah, that's and true. That I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that you got another saving throw like a few rounds later. I guess you could say. Uh, and it, but it makes sense. We do also learn in some of the epigraphs that the Kolos are easier to control 
because they have larger spikes and because they're stupider than Chondra are. So, oh, it's also that they have four spikes instead of two, I think. But hey, you know who has four spikes? Ten soon. Think of well, it. Well, not always. He doesn't keep the the blessing of potency on all the time. I don't. I don't think he keeps them in. He dumped it before he went to the homeland. And then he picked it back up when he left the homeland. Correct. You mean before he dropped Sazed off? He he might have him in now, I think. He should have it. Yeah, he picked them back up. That's how we know that he dumped them, because we see him pick them back up. Right. So he has four spikes. He just doesn't wear all four all at the same time. Uh, All at the same time. All the time. Okay. So, anyways... Marsh flees out the window. Vin leaves to go meet up with Ellen, uh, presumably leaving her mangled earring on the floor and follow up with that very soon. And that was a whopper of a chapter 65. And yeah, so the, the big comments? point is the Coloss and the, essentially the trap that was set by Ruin. Yeah, he's been leading our heroes all along, just trying well, to find that ATM. He thought that they were coming up on the ATM. That's why he starts gloating. When they yep. get to Fadric City. That's why he thinks that he's won, but we do see a little bit of fear in him. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this chapter is that we see some weakness in Ruin. Pretty fair. All right. I think we should continue because we do have a lot to talk about, um, yeah, or at least chapter-wise. Yep. Okay. Chapter 66. The epigraph isn't foreshadowing Marsh's struggle at all. No. Tensoon is so hungry, he could eat a... Uh, never mind. No. <laughs> Stay Zed soon, talk a lot while traveling. Less conversing, more traversing. So there you have it. Tensoon eats a horse. That's what... The record is Tensoon eats a horse. Yes. It's, that's this record. chapter. Dave <laughs> could not stop talking about that for... He eats a horse, time. dude. That's he so ate great. a horse. He totally He's my did. new favorite character that's already been my favorite character. And last week, another of my inadvertent spoilers, talking about how uh, Seizet's going to ride on Tensoon. How's that going to happen? He's going to eat a horse. That's how it's going to happen. Did you say that last week? I don't remember. Well, I said give him a ride. And you're like, how are they going to ride? He's only a medium in size category. Oh, yeah. And there you have it. Well, first he eats a pig to gain more body mass, and then he eats the horse. And the way that Kolos work, or sorry, the way that the Chondra work is that they can turn their mass into muscle or fat or organs, whatever they need in whatever place they need. Chandra? I said Kolos first and then corrected myself. Okay. Yep. But yeah, you could not stop talking about the fact that he ate a horse. He ate a horse. And he then Seized and Tensoon. Seized and Soon is their ship name. Uh, <laughs> they, just, they can't stop talking. So I talk all about stuff. Seized Soon. I didn't write down anything from their conversation. They just talk a lot. But I think mostly it's about uh, like, Tensoon preparing. It's Tensoon preparing Seized to confront the first generationers first generation Andre. all right ready for chapter 67 sure okay the epigraph isn't foreshadowing the fact that breeze will control a coloss at all no 
Although that it might be Ellen. It's foreshadowing someone controlling a Coloss without the Although I think Ellen would have tried it by now. Maybe so. Maybe it's Breeze. So it mentions that like if if a soother or rioter tries really hard, they'll be able to control a Coloss. So I'm I'm expecting great things out of Breeze coming. Okay, Vin and Ellen and Yeoman stand atop Fadrix. Looks like Vin had time to return to the cavern, find her earring, and hire a smith to fix it. That time could have been spent doing something important, like ordering pizza. Vin leaves to go and get the <clears throat> ATM. Did Vin actually go to a smith to fix her earring and not pick up <laughs> horseshoes? WTF, Vin. The so- earring is clearly more important. <laughs> she's like, she has to go back into town and find horseshoes before. Like, she was at a smith shop. She could have probably found horseshoes there. Or at it's, least it's more important to be fashionable <laughs> than to be on time. It's more important to, that we have ruined the chat with her while she goes to wherever she's luring Rowan to. Now, was her earring actually damaged? Yes. It's it. The book straight up says it doesn't say that she went in search for the earring or anything, but it does explicitly say that she took it to a smith to get fixed. Sure, (laughs) because you know it it was damaged. It went through someone's brain and two sides of his skull. I mean, still wear that. Come on. It's too bad she didn't drive it through his heart. Maybe she could get even more powers from it. All right, so Vin, she does all that, doesn't buy a pizza, which would have been useful because she could entice the mist to help her out. Probably be even even more of a motivation for the mist to help her than taking her earring off, to be honest. And Vin is saying to Ellen out loud, I have to go and get it. I think we need it. And I'm just like, the ATM? And he's like, what? And Vin's like, yup. <laughs> uh, because remember that Bruin cannot read minds, but he can hear the conversation. So he will surely follow Vin because she's going to go get it. There's definitely some winks implied. But I think Ellen doesn't really get it anyway. He's like, dude, he can't like, figure out. He's like, game. he's like, the ATM? What? <laughs> he can't add two plus two plus two plus two plus two plus two plus two. Sixteen is a powerful number. That is, it's a power of two to a power of two. <laughs> so, anything else on chapter sixty-seven? Finn has to go get some horseshoes. Nope. Alright. Chapter 68. Sazed is being Saze led through the maze ed. Large metal pedestal, eh? Aristocrat is derived from Greek and literally means best power. Motafudgen Kanpar. <laughs> Sazed wants to compare notes to discern Ruin's plan. First. Alright, so Sezed makes it to the Contra homeland, which is right next door to the pits of Hathson, believe it or not. And he just kind of walks past the guards. He's like, you're not going to kill me. You're not allowed to kill me. And he's like, by the way, Lord Ruler's dead. 
are you allowed to kill me? And the guards are like, I don't know. <laughs> they let him in. And he's met by Kanpar, whom Seiza can recognize is an aristocrat of the Chandra society. And Kanpar is, of course, uh, Kanpar is, of course, a second generation Chandra. And he doesn't want to involve the first generation, but then Seizid kind of explains what he's doing here out loud. Although they're surrounded by metal, so I don't know if Ruin can actually like. So they've got this big metal pedestal in their courtroom or whatever, and the walls are made of metal too. What kind of metal do you guys think they're made out of? Because I have a feeling they might be made out of ATM. I can't be sure, but I think they might be made out of ATM. You think the whole thing's made? Oh yeah, that's a lot of ATM. That's a lot of ATM. There is a lot of ATM. Is there? I don't know. There's I, a lot. I feel like it's just steel or something like that. There's more than seven beads. Yes, but... that is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, all. Yomin found se- seven. Yomin beads. found seven beads, and Rowan wasn't very happy about it. So Correct. there's got to be. There's more than seven beads, at least. Plus, uh, we also know that Lord Ruler quote hid Ruin's body well. And this would be a great place to hide it, I would think. So. Anyways, if not here, if not in this actual courtroom, then maybe somewhere in the Contra homelands. All right. So Seiza talks about how he wants to compare the notes. His He wants to compare his written notes against what the first generation recalls of terrorist religion so that they can figure out exactly what Ruin's plan is based on text that he has changed. And the first generationers show up, and they have their actual, original, thousand-year-old bones, so they're all decrepity. Uh, they're not as good, actually, at absorbing bones and making bodies as the younger Chandra are. And if you think about it, the first generation are the only Chandra that ever were human. All the other generations of Chandra were made out of mist wraith. Pretty fair. So, Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. I so. mean, that also explains why they're really bad at making other bodies. Yeah. They didn't have practice as mist wraiths, I guess. I don't know. Something like that. They pooped a lot. It was the problem, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. So chapter 68 leaves Sezed about to conspire with the first generation and figure out what ruins up. I mean, I think it's a, a neat scene. He has to deal with the Kanpar and the other aristocrat. Yeah. And finally, the first generation are like, no. You're I was expecting Maylin to show up and be like, where's Tensoon? <laughs> is her name Maylin? Milan. 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 Maylin is the girl from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> or no. I'm not the one who said It's Mei-Ling. I'm sorry. It's Mei-Ling is the character from Metal Gear Solid. So I don't know what I was saying. Milan. M-E-L-A-A-N. I think I said Mei Lin. So basically the Metal Gear character without the G on the end. But it's Milan. Okay. Okay. Chapter 69? Sure. Where did, where did the original prophecies come from? 
that's something that that's in the epigraph and that's something that i was thinking about even since the end of well of ascension ruin can alter text but he didn't make them from scratch right as far as this epigraph assumes all right chapter 69 bullet point rip goradel chapter 70 I was going to say, that better be the only bullet point. (laughs) Yeah, so Marsh encounters Gorodel with his metal sheet. And the message he's trying to deliver, Gorodel ends up... uh, He he tries to destroy the metal sheet, but is unable to do so before, uh, before Marsh cuts his horse's legs off first. And then ends up in a fight with him. And after killing Gorodel, uh, there are really a couple of actually, as short as this chapter is, a couple of really neat things. First of all, Marsh realizes that he has somewhat of an autonomy while he's frenzying. <laughs> so if he wants to unplug himself, he might have to murder some dudes first and then unplug himself. <laughs> Well, it's not like he has control of when he gets to murder. It's just while it's happening. Yeah. So that could be the opening that he needs to unplug himself. I also love the fact that Marsh <laughs> chops off Gordell's arm, then kills him, and then like picks up the whole arm off the ground and yanks the sheet out of the, the severed hand. <laughs> it's, it's like, I thought that was pretty he picks up the whole arm. Anyway. Uh, and, and I also thought it was like, it was a really cool exit too. Cause he takes the aluminum foil and he throws it on the ground and pushes off of it. And he actually does the horseshoe trick, but with coins as well. And I just realized, I realized that the whole, the whole point of this entire story. So we remember that the Inquisitor's headquarter is at the conventicle of Saran, right? And we have... Oh, no. We have our heroes writing all their messages on aluminum foil. So this book is here to answer the ultimate question. Which is better, Saran wrap or Reynolds wrap? Then the answer? I haven't finished the book yet, Craig. Oh, no. Well, the we'll answer is parchment paper, obviously. Parchment's nice. You can't really store food in it, though. You can cook on it. I guess you can store food on it, but uh, I wouldn't give you as good a seal as Saran Wrap or Reynolds Wrap. And those are brand names that we don't have permission to use. No copyright infringement is intended. Although, I will say this. It would be trademark instead of copyright. Yeah, I guess. Uh Serious point, though, if there are any t-shirt artists that happen to listen to this podcast, uh, we might have some work for you. I would love to see a t-shirt with a roll of plastic wrap and a roll of aluminum foil clashing like swords in battle. <laughs> with sword. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, That's such a long conversation to explain, though. <laughs> <laughs> but our logos on the back, our, our the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast logos on the back. If they listen to my the mind. podcast, we don't have to explain anything. And like then this. they have to listen to sixty six <laughs> episodes to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but if they could, if it's at a book convention, then 
they'll be like, oh, I get it. It's Saran Wrap. It's not as good as a snore mug. I'll grant you that. It's too deep. Deep like the pits of Hatson? Sure. So, Gorodel has been with us since the first book. That's true. He was guarding the Lord Roller's palace on that fateful night. Yep. Poor guy. Didn't make it to the end. Yeah. But he went down he went down bravely though. I'm I'm happy for him having a strong conclusion. Yeah. Alright, we ready for chapter seventy? Please. Alright. Vin's earring is made of bronze, y'all. Zane is so terrible. That Ruin <laughs> controlled him even before he got his spike. Right there in the text in the epigraph of chapter 70. You're talking about Quellion. Oh. No, and Zane. Yeah, and Zane. Chapter yeah. 70, yeah. Zane. Zane doesn't even need to have a spike in him for Ruin to take her. Like, he's just, he's so bad. Yep. All right. And then here we go. Chapter 70. Elland is a bastard. Yeoman is not heartless, just pragmatic. Sixteen is a powerful number. There is not enough room on this line for the number of dots I would like to type. Oh, are there sixteen? <laughs> there are. There's enough room for sixteen dots. I would. I want a sixteen to the power of sixteen dots. That's how many. That's I a want. lot of that, dots. That is a lot of dots. It's only eight bytes. Go uh, on. <laughs> enhancement medals. Neat. I'll just do my best mic impression. Neat. Okay. So Ellen is talking to Yeoman. They're they're like frenemies now. And he's like, you know, I he's like, my parents are married and I'm not a jerk, but my philosophy and my whole being is an amalgamation of all these different things emperor noble mistborn scholar and i'd somehow they all mix together to make some weird concoction of a person that makes me and they are going to the infirmary here and mama some mom shows up with her little boy the little boy has just come down with the mist sickness and yeoman is like is kind of a jerk to her he's like you should have put your child at risk sooner so that we wouldn't need to use the bed that we could use for soldier. But at the same time, Ellen can see true concern in his eyes. He's being pragmatic and practical on the surface, but not quite as cold-hearted as he might come off. And they, this is fortunate for our heroes because they realize uh, what's going on here. They they start the conversation about the mist sickness, and Ellen's just like, don't you think it's weird that exactly 16% to the person are being struck by this mist sickness? And Yeoman's like, why? There's 16 alimantic metals. Why is it a weird number? Like, <laughs> 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 uh, so, not only did Ellen not figure out what I figured out since book one, Yeoman also had figured it out. Well, they okay, don't know. On, they don't know all sixteen metals. They they know and comparing notes from the existence of fourteen metals, but they don't they don't know what the last two are. Hold on a second. 
to give Ellen a little bit of credit, Yeoman is an obligator and a very religious one at that. So I'm sure he's actually read religious texts, things like yeah, that. He's, I, know, I know Ellen is well read. He's privy to more information because right. part of the ministry, yeah. All right, c- continue. And so Yeoman categorizes them not on four different axes like I would like them to be structured, but four physical, four mental, four temporal, and four enhancement metals, two of which are aluminum and duralumin. And actually, Yeoman is still still not completely convinced of duralumin. He's like, if that duralumin stuff your wife came up with is actually true, blah, blah, blah. And so there are two more metals, according to Yeoman, and probably according to uh, Mist Spirit Preservation. But here's the that's not the big reveal in this chapter, though. The big reveal in this chapter, which is pretty neat, is that all the people that have fallen to the mist sickness are now Alamancer. So uh, Ellen tests this by giving... For He's like, guys, raise your hand if you had the mist sickness. And one of his soldiers raises his one arm. He doesn't have the other arm. He raises one. He's got a one-arm guy. He raises it. And he's like, here, drink this. He drinks some pewter. And the guy, the soldier, he's like, well, I don't feel any different. Whoa! <laughs> and he he burns pewter and feels better. So yeah, there you have it. All all of the sixteen percent that have been struck and stricken stricken by the mist sickness are alamancers now. It doesn't say mistborn, it uses alamancers, so maybe this guy was lucky and he got the uh he got the pewter. Some some poor sap might have gotten the aluminum. But he got the pewter. And I think that this is good for our heroes, but I don't think they have enough metal for it really to matter all that much. Also, I'm pretty sure that their Alamancers are like already in Luthadel. <laughs> well, only some of them. They sent away the ones that were... Um, the, the ones that were sick for an extended period of time. Yeah. The Mistfallen, so which is still a totally metal name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's the end of this week's chapter. So, this is a big deal. It's it's taken Ellen how many chapters to finally put it together? 16. Sure. Which has been like months in our count. Uh, but did did you think about the whole their Alamancer thing? No. Okay. Not a big deal. Nah, I I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me at any point. I just I thought that this was strictly a signal for Ellen to look for the sixteenth medal. I didn't think that there was any other significance to it. I didn't think there had to be, but there is, and now we're gonna have uh some more people and this is gonna be good because they might actually be able to control some coloss here. Or I don't. I don't think ruin. Well, ruin. Ruin is not omnipotent. He can only at least. At least he's not omnipresent. So they'll be able to push back at least a little bit. Uh, Ruin's not going to be able to overcome the brass and zinc of 
16% of the world population, right? Well, what's that population at at the moment? <laughs> Not very hot. I think most of the people are actually within the cities that we know that still exist. Because I don't know if you guys have looked outside recently, but the world's kind of ending. Yep. The Conjure haven't. Correct. The Conjure, the Conjure the kind of remind me of... They kind of remind me of the Ents from Lord of the Rings. It's just like, world's ending. Let us deliberate on whether or not we should intervene. I'll be with <laughs> you in 20 years. <laughs> okay. So, in the Discord... You had made mention of spotting some um, influence of the Mormon religion in this book. Is that something you want to go into here, or do you want to wait until uh, the book overview? I was going to wait until the book overview, but since you brought it up, um, instead of leaving people hanging, just uh, just a couple of things. The written religious texts have been corrupted and they get their reliable information etched on metal plates. So I kind of, I can imagine Brandon actually, you know, taking those elements from his religion, Mormonism and being like, what, what if this were, you know, what happened to lead up to this point of text being corrupt and, we need the metal plates like and he kind of like went backwards from there that that's just a guess that's all i really had to say about it okay cuz i am not actually familiar enough with mormonism to catch Same. any of that i yeah. i've honestly never noticed anything that stands out as mormon in any of his works and i've heard of things i i've watched synopsises and analysis of things like twilight which are very obvious with their mormon uh traits <laughs> you like twilight dude i don't no, like twilight not, I, so well, i'm not saying like it's not the book is it's not trying to preach or push mormonism at all i just think that there right. was some of that kind of influence where brandon was you know taking the idea of his his fictional world i don't so so my point is that it's obvious in certain respects, like in Twilight, and it is not obvious to me in Sanderson's work. But that's because I don't know much about Mormonism. Um, so I can't notice the things that you've noticed. Well, I, I'll, the only thing I know about Mormonism is from an episode of South Park, so you can't really take my word for it either. Oh, okay. No, that that South Park episode is pretty spot on. Well, there you have it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dave, do you have anything else, or are you ready to be kicked off? Nope, I'm GG. He wants right. to go back to play to his game, so see ya. So, uh, I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to make some blue cheese bacon-wrapped sirloins. Thanks for joining us this week, and we will catch you next week. Peace. All right. There's no more Dave. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now.
Uh, do we want to go into spoiler stuff? Yes. I know you've got a few things, but I'm kind of tired. Have we'll, we'll be quick. All right, One, do we you have think? to talk about Kelsier. He's in this line. There are lines said by Kelsier in chapter 60, uh, 64. Kelsier has line right there. What's Kelsier up to? He's talking to Spook. Indeed Done. he is. And he's also yeah. directly responsible for Gordel getting the note. Uh, True. That, that well, was his. That was his three card Monty at the end of uh, Secret History. Dude, Kelsier is playing so many games. He's a game within a game. He's just he's on top of this. He's got this. Uh, so, for those of you who, for whatever reason, haven't read Secret History, do so. Uh, the three-card Monty thing is Kelsier trying to get a message out, claiming it's for Vin, but it isn't actually. It's for Marsh. Yep. And he it's successfully sort of did that. That Ruin sends Marsh. He could send any Inquisitor. He sends Marsh, which is a good thing, because well, otherwise... Didn't Kelsier, like, scout out and spot that Marsh was the closest Inquisitor? He might have been. I had to... I, I don't remember. I vaguely um, remember that, but I but may be wrong about that one. Kelsier, number one, Kelsier can talk to Spook, so that's good. Uh, that sets up things for later. But Dave did not even notice. He didn't say anything about that dream. He's just like, oh, it's just a weird dream Spook had. No big deal. And it stands out. But when I did my reread of this book, it's... The way it sounds, the way it's set up, I'm like, this is weird how it's set up. And it's directly lifted, of course, from Secret History. Um, this was planned from Sanderson for ages, clearly, that Kelsier would survive and he's up to stuff. Agreed. Um, but, I mean, my first, every time reading it before I read Secret History, I didn't spot anything weird about it. Just yep. thought Spook was having a cool vision quest dream. Yep, definitely. So Dave didn't notice, so that's cool. Uh, we'll get to talk about that when he finally reads Secret History, whenever that is. Um, I don't know if we're bit. doing that with Arcanium or Arcanum Unbounded, or if we're just doing it separate. Uh, it would be before because it did get released uh, separately. It'll be right after um, Bands of Mourning. Okay, um, that's cool. Okay, so yeah, so I wanted to talk about Kelsier, and I did. Uh, the other thing we have is, it was mentioned by one of our members in chat, the medals that are unmentioned as part of the 16 is Chromium and Necrosil, which, they're the equivalents of Aluminum and Duralumum, but it affects other people, not yourself. And so you can there's... enhance other people's, or you can remove other people's metal reserve. And there's two more metals that also get introduced in uh, Era 2 that replace um, Atium and Malatium on the right. 16 chart. Because technically, Atium and Malatium don't really fit in with the temporal metals. They were sort of added by preservation to fit his little 116th are ATM burners, so that way they can burn up uh, AT's body later on, Ruin's body. So, eventually they're reintroduced, Cadmium and Bendeloy, and of course we have two people who burn each of those 
in uh in Era Two as main characters. So that's cool. Uh so I don't really have anything else except rest in peace, Gorodel. You were too yeah, good for this he, world. It's a shame he had to be used in this way, but like Dave said, he went down fighting, and I'm pretty sure he has a family because he has descendants in the in the future. So at least there's that. Oh, and Fel Knight in the in the Discord has brought up a good point. Uh, Brandon has been very candid uh, the whole time about saying that Kelsier had held the pres- the power of preservation for a while, and like yeah, I I. I knew that, I had heard that, and I did not have any concept of what that actually meant, because <laughs> Kelsier was dead, so... Eh? So, question then. It was Kelsier a Mistborn because... Okay, it's it's mentioned elsewhere in, I think, the first book. Kelsier had a rough life. He He was a thief. And he was going around for a while doing that sort of thing before he was captured and set to pits. He should have broken at some point, and he didn't break until the pits of Hathsin. Except he didn't have that rough of a life. He was an extremely good thief who was apparently never beaten nearly to death in his life. Okay, yeah, that's the excuse they give. My thing is, is him being a misborn because of preservation's influence in some way? Uh, yes, but or not any more than anyone else being a Mistborn is the result of Preservation's influence. Vin notwithstanding. I always felt Kelsier would be closer to Ruin than he is to Preservation. Um, the, the connection that he has with Preservation just happens because Fuzz, as he likes to call him, keeps him alive as the... Cognitive shadow type thing. That no, is. Kelsier's connection to preservation was artificial and yes. provided by the I- Irie. Okay, there's that too. Like, um, without that, he did not have enough connection to preservation to hold the power. That's my point. He, I always felt he was closer to Ruin, that he has actual connection with Ruin. He, he was sort of a pawn of Ruins in order to remove Lord Roller from the equation. And yeah, so. He he used the device by the Irie and was able to hold on to preservation for just a little bit until Vin can finally remove that stupid earring. Uh, so, Tori, you've been pretty quiet for a bit. Do you have anything else? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, then I'm going to go ahead and call it because I am hungry and I had a long day at work and I'm tired. So, a lot of chapters. Bye, internet. A lot of chapters. Bye. Good night, Internet. Oh, uh, sorry. One real quick thing. In approximately two weeks, Dave will be finishing the book, and he will be streaming that at my insistence, and I will make sure that he also highlights that so that it stays around forever, and I will be posting that alongside this episode because watching him read the last 50 pages of the book is going to be a treat. And by internet. Wow. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm